Welcome to the Advancing Women podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women podcast. In the international best-selling book, Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men, author and activist Carolyn Criado Perez talks about the consequences of a world where so much of the data we have is based on the male experience. Criado explains how the data our society collects is typically about men's experience and not women's. The data then gets used to allocate research funding and make decisions about how things are designed, things from pain medication to cars. Sometimes the consequences can be minor, like shivering in offices set to male comfort norms. Other times, the consequences are more serious, resulting in the biases and barriers for women's advancement that I talk about so much on the Advancing Women podcast. But this episode is about how a world designed around male data can be life-threatening. Like crashing in a car that safety measures don't account for women's measurements or having a heart attack go undiagnosed because studies show women are 17% more likely to die in a car crash and 50% more likely to be misdiagnosed after a heart attack. Studies show female patients are more likely to have their symptoms dismissed by medical providers, and that compared with men, women face longer waits to be diagnosed with cancer and heart disease. They're treated less aggressively for traumatic brain injury and are less likely to be offered pain medications. And as long as this continues, women will unnecessarily suffer. So we need to keep talking about this. And the other day, I was scrolling through social media, and I came across a post, and it struck me. And after reading it, I immediately reached out to the woman who posted it and asked if she would be willing to share her story, her experience. And so I'm so grateful and delighted to welcome my guest today, Leah Noonan, to the Advancing Women podcast. Welcome, Leah. I'm so happy to talk with you today. Thank you so much, Kimberly. I'm honored you asked me. And uh I never have a a difficult time um, talking about issues that mean something to me. And this is uh, one that's becoming more in the forefront and is particularly close to, to my heart and to my experience. I really appreciate that. I'd like to share what you wrote in your post because there's so much in it that's important to talk about from medical gaslighting, but also regarding supporting women, not judging women's choices. So Leah... Again, I was so moved by your post, and I was wondering if you would be willing to just read it for us so that we can hear your moving words. Absolutely. Total transparency. I always wanted to be a mom, and I didn't plan to have cancer and then have it again. And when I finally found the life partner and we quietly made the move toward pursuing a path toward parenthood. I didn't plan for yet another unidentified illness to catapult us out of pursuing full four steps, all while a clock ticked. In February, I made a dramatic choice to restore my health via the most likely solution, and it worked. I finally feel better, but that choice held the ultimate consequence. I won't be a mom biologically speaking, naturally. That choice was permanent. But I want no pity because for the first time in four years, I'm not hurting. 
I've watched women reach their miracle. I've watched women crushed under the weight of waiting for it. I've watched women silently judging others for jumping all walls to reach theirs. I've also watched women vocally prodding their besties to drain any and all accounts and go into debt to reach their miracle. It's all hard. Worst of all, I've seen women who lost their miracle before he or she appeared in their arms. That's unspeakably hard. And then there's agency calls and long waiting lists. That is not the easy path or alternative. That is no longer a cost-effective choice. And it all takes time. And it all takes a human toll. I've heard strangers speculate on my life based on my status. Someone once close to me pronounced my lack of motherhood status as intent. I must not like children if I'm not willing to try any means to motherhood. I've lived through it all while silently just waiting to be me without the baggage. I've not been walking this alone. My husband has always supported me at every turn, and he too had his own personal weight from this. But under the umbrella of it all is this. Do not judge, do not speculate, and do not assume. I'm going to just ask all of you to be a support to those who are not moms. The women who don't have a child aren't necessarily choosing the path they're on. They're embracing life with grace as best they can. Don't push, don't prod, don't assume they're in grief because they have no filled minivan. And yet, don't assume they are not. It's all hard. But the shine they emit in spite of all of the hard stuff is brighter. You just need to see it. There is not just one happy ending. So love up those in the not a mama category. Spot their coffee today. High five them at work. Just don't judge. And if this applies to you, love yourself big and shine on. Wow, Leah. Thank you. Again, I'm just blown away by those words. I appreciate your vulnerability and your candor. There's so much going on here from the medical gaslighting and the consequences of not paying attention when women have medical issues and hearing their voice to then being judged as women. We have this huge barrier and this huge challenge of our voices not always being heard and our needs not being prioritized. And so we have to really especially be supportive of each other through that. And so yeah. Let's start with the gaslighting part because so much of this is a result of what I talked about earlier of the lived experience of women not being prioritized or taken into consideration and the very scary and real consequences of that. So I was hoping you could talk about that. I know from our conversation separately that that was kind of a big part of how you ended up in this place. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be happy to share. So gaslighting has become a familiar topic. In a, in a current events sense, because April, I think April, both the Washington Post and New York Times both put out articles about women and gaslighting. So it's very relevant. But, you know, I've been 
basically dealing with this since I was 14 years old, medical gaslighting, because I had some very um, difficult to kind of diagnose uh, symptoms since the age of 14. So the term gaslighting comes from a 1944 film uh, with starring Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. And it's basically about a woman who marries a husband who who makes her believe she's crazy. It's called gaslight. And so we've now taken that and put it into the popular culture and made it a verb. But that term didn't exist. In my experience as a 14-year-old kid, I didn't know anything other than doctors were always right. Um, and I had been a high school swimmer. I was this this kid who was, um, you know, robo high school student, you know, Honor Society Writers Club. You tell me I was a student newspaper, everything I could possibly do and put on my high school resume I was doing. And I started to become sick uh, with flu-like symptoms. And those flu-like symptoms degenerated to a point where I was bedridden and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. Fast forward, you know, I dealt with um, basically a, a myriad of different issues diagnosed as chronic fatigue syndrome at the time, but my immune system just didn't function. And there were just so many things that were unexplained. My parents did everything, absolutely everything to try to help me. And they, they sought the doctors that really, really and truly believed that I was ill. And those were hard to come by in the beginning. So that experience was with me from my teens on. So I began my journey in college saying, oh my God, I can't do this because I'm sick. And what if something happens to me? And I was lucky enough to go to a school that had the profound support and community sense that when I did get sick, I was bolstered and I was supported. But, you know, all of my journey began from adolescence on. And at the age of 26, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. In fact, I was diagnosed with papillary carcinoma that afternoon. Um, so what ended up happening was I was told to expect a very simple surgery. I was given a whole bunch of people that had had the same type of cancer. And they all told me, oh, you'll have a small scar. It'll be no problem. You'll be right back to normal. That was not the situation for me because I had a very advanced case of cancer. And in fact, the surgeon fresh out of surgery, told my parents that he had never seen anything like it. And he said, and both of my parents were there to witness it. In my estimation, this has been a decade worth of growth because of the calcification of the tumors. And so my parents were standing there just in the, the you know, family waiting room. You know, I, I had a radical neck, neck dissection. So I'm cut from ear to ear. I had uh, muscle removed and 40 lymph nodes. And I had to have months of physical therapy. I had to learn how to hold my neck properly. And I was just, I was completely devastated, you know, not just dealing with the cancer, but the ramifications of everything having been um, dismissed and missed and 
in the last 12 months before my diagnosis, I was sent to shrink. Wow. And that was the only referral uh, my general practitioner sent me to, was a psychiatrist. Yeah, it's a history of um, an assumed hysteria, Mm -hmm. this idea that women are somehow creating problems that aren't really there and that these are psychological problems and that your pain and your experience is not what you think it is or that it's exaggerated. And um, these are stereotypes as opposed to real data that show that women actually are very in tune to their own bodies and when there's really a problem, but also have a very high threshold for pain. So, you know, it is so frustrating sometimes for me to hear that kind of story. And at the same time, you know, I'm aggravated, but not surprised necessarily because these kinds of stereotypes and these explaining away of our experiences persist, unfortunately, and result in consequences. It wasn't more than maybe 17 months after that, that I was diagnosed with a second form of cancer. I was uh, just trying to get my life back and rebuild and try to figure out how to start a career. Because mind you, the career I was in at the time was more of a survival career because it fit in with that profile of being, you know, health impaired. It had great benefits, great health insurance, and it allowed me a lot of sick days, but yet I wasn't reporting anymore. I had gotten uh, a reporting job straight out of college and I was excited about it. And I, because of my health, I had to basically make the choice to give it up. Yeah. I was restarting. I was, I was doing freelance writing again. And I was like, I'm going to get this back. And right in the middle of that, I was diagnosed with cancer number two. And nobody could really tell me this definitively, but I was told by at least one oncologist that the fact that one cancer was kind of not dealt with for so many years, that that may have been the reason why I got the second cancer. They believed there was a connection between the two, whether the connection was a virus, they didn't know. But after cancer number two, I was so angry at having to be in this place. I just didn't know what to do with the anger. Right. Why do you think there was such a hesitation to really dig into your health the way they need to? Was it just your age? I don't know. I don't know because all the right things were in place. I had a health advocate, my mother sitting next to me at every appointment from the time I was 14 till into my 20s. Um, But they gaslighted her in tandem with me because, you know, my mom, who is a biology teacher, who is a very smart woman who knows science and tries to learn those pieces was going to them with articles she read. And it didn't matter what background she had, that she had a chemistry and a biology degree and, you know, that she understood how cells work, things like that. They would just see her as the mom who was cutting out an article out of some lady's home journal and call her crazy. Yeah. And call her crazy with me underestimating, overlooking, and devaluing the knowledge, yeah. the questioning, and all of that. It's its really, really 
good reason to be angry. Absolutely. And because of that, because that I looked at my experience and how many times I went to the doctor saying, why are my lymph nodes enlarged? And this is a huge huge, should have been a red flag. Why does my neck look like a football player all of a sudden? And, you know, it was, oh, it's, it's mono, you know, cause we, we found this on the blood test. So, so that's it, but not looking any deeper. And as I continue to keep getting sick, not sending me to, to someone else. Yeah. I think it is sometimes easier to dismiss and to give less credence to what you're saying. There does seem to be this undertone of that there's a level of a hysteria or over-exaggeration or drama, all of the kind of words that sometimes are used to describe women that can have an impact on yeah. the seriousness with which we approach something. Yeah. And during all of this, you know, there there was a, a profound... Um, psychological and emotional impact on my life. So fast forward, I'm in my forties now. And that post that I wrote was about something completely different after the cancer experience. Uh, About four years ago, I started developing some gastrointestinal symptoms that were not just, um, just your typical, like, oh, this is annoying. They altered the way I live my life and they altered. Yes. Very debilitating. Um, and one of them sent me to an ER and this was back in 2018. And because of my medical gaslighting experience, I always viewed the male doctor as kind of like, let's stay away from them because women listen, or at least until 2018, I believe that was true that women listened to other women patients. That was your experience. That was my experience. In fact, the initial um, thyroid cancer um, diagnosis came from my female OBGYN who said, have you had these checked? I'm concerned about it. And so I had this positive image of the female physician. But in 2018, I took an Uber from the Bronx um, where I was working uh, to a Westchester hospital closer to my home. And the ER doctor who oversaw my writhing because I was having such pain um, told me to stop it, to basically stop um, belly aching and complaining, and that this, that I was over dramatizing the whole thing. And I could hear her in the hallway. I need a psych eval. Wow. You know, like that at that volume. And, you know, like the anger in this is welling up. So, you know, she said this and my, my friend was in the, um, the hallway hearing this and my husband was on the heels behind to, you know, he was rushing there And she said, you're not sick. You know, you're not sick. And, you know, I went through this for four years, pain. um, And I, I was still working. I was still living my life trying. I couldn't take time out. And it got so bad in the fall of 2021 
this past fall that I was literally having my husband do everything just so I could get to work. And I was working remotely a lot. I, I couldn't function normally. And that's when it got to a point where, you know, being diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome for four years, seeing four different gastroenterologists, finally, I started doing my own research and taking the power back into my own hands and saying, you know what? They're wrong. I'm going to find myself what this is, and I'm going to ask for the answers. So that's kind of how I came to really get this looked at seriously and in the right track. That's amazing. You know, that's, there's such a downside to your first experience and it led to so much unnecessary trauma and pain, but you learned. And yet still you went through again, unnecessary trauma and pain and the discounting of your experience. And more frustrating even is the narrative of somebody else about your experience yeah. and all that. It's yeah. just frustrating. So many women have felt that in the medical establishment oh, in yeah. many places, but especially there. So tell us how you empowered yourself, you found the answer, and then what happened? You know, I prior to my career now, I was um, in young adult cancer um, programming, and I, I worked a lot on behalf of young adult cancer issues um, both uh, in professional senses and then um, a lot as a volunteer doing a lot of advocacy work. And one of the things I learned from um, teenagers is they do their research on YouTube. And I said, let's let's just throw out the old model of looking for medical stuff. Let's just YouTube it. So that's what I started doing. And I found a Today Show uh, piece on women's health. And, you know, I hadn't gone down that um, avenue because I had supposedly been doing everything right. My annual checkups, I was right on target and all the things turned out normal in every exam, um, except for one little thing. I was told that I had fibroids, but that they were nothing to worry about. And over and over told nothing to worry about. But I I started reading up about endometriosis and fibroids and wondering, could this be it? Well, that he's from the Today Show uh, featured a nurse who had suffered from endometriosis. And she talked about how it hurt to go to the bathroom and she had irritable bowel type symptoms. And then the doctor who was sitting side by side with her had written a book called Beating Endo, Dr. Iris Orbuck. So I read um, up a little bit as I was watching the video about Dr. Iris. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And she says in the video, 90% of women experience um, gastrointestinal symptoms with endometriosis and other related women's pain. Wow, that's, that's amazing that you're going to see all these doctors and then you watch this YouTube video and you hear this connection and have this eureka moment. That one statement she made about that, I said, that's why. That's why none of these things have been working because 
I'm not really experiencing IBS, which is a syndrome, which many of us who have experienced anything that's a syndrome know that it's, it's like they can't put their finger on it if you have a syndrome. But when I started, I, I immediately bought the book Beating Endo, started reading it cover to cover as if it was a novel because the women's stories inside of it echoed mine. So the next thing to do was to make an appointment with a specialist, supposedly a specialist in endo in my um, health network, which was covered and went to see her. And she told me probably the most uh, fascinating yet freaked me out thing. She said, you fit all the criterias of endometriosis, but here's the thing. We can't tell you if you have it until we do a surgery. What? We can't even diagnose you until you go in and have the surgery that will take you out of life for about six weeks. So that was the first moment where I was like, well, I'm not going to do a surgery. So I tried the medication, which is the alternate way, and nothing helped. So I scheduled the surgery around Christmas. Uh, I got COVID. So my surgery was postponed, but that was a miraculous bit of my story because if I hadn't postponed that surgery, um, I would have had possibly the wrong path because um, the things I learned while I was on the downtime and researching more was that I was headed toward the wrong type of surgery because it's a surgery that's covered by insurance. Uh, and not the surgery that is optimal that allows you to really, you know, do it right. Right. To fix the problem. To fix the problem. So um, in desperation, I started looking everywhere I could at uh, different advocacy resource sites to tell me which of the doctors were doing something called wide excision surgery, which would be the right surgery and would not cause scarring. So. Um, I found the right doctor. Dr. Laura Liu uh, was my doctor and she operates out of Manhattan and also in a New Jersey office. Uh, But she has a lot of people trying to um, see her because she's one of only three doctors, the entire New New Jersey, New York, um, tri-state area um, that offer the surgery that have been trained to do excision surgery. Um, and I called the office that day. I was particularly emotional. And I said, please help me. And office people in medical are your gatekeepers. And sometimes you can't even reach the doctor unless you reach the heart of that gatekeeper who can get you the appointment. And she said, just so you know, we are not under health insurance So this may not be covered by your plan if you're an out-of-network, which I was. And she said, are you willing to pay full price, which was $400 consultation? I said, please, just get me the first appointment you can. I am desperate. I'm in pain every day. Please help me. And so they got me an appointment in a week. And I feel like when I sat next to her... um, I feel like she's heard my story for the first time. And I feel like for the first time I was sitting 
sorry. Uh, I feel like for the first time I was being heard as, as a human being and validated for what I was going through. And it didn't matter to me at that point what it cost. I wanted my life back. And she didn't make any promises. She didn't tell me she was the only person in the world who knew anything, which I had had doctors who had told me, don't go to anyone else. I know what I'm talking about. She said, can't tell you for certain, but I can tell you I have a strong sense that we can do something about this. And I believed her and she was absolutely the right doctor for me. And it would turn out, I didn't find this out until after my first appointment with her. When I went back and I read Dr. Iris's book and I said, saw this name, C.Y. Lou was one of her mentors. Wow. So that, that original YouTube video and then that book and uh, you end up in this doctor. That's really amazing. Yeah. It's her father. Dr. Laura Liu, her father was one of the pioneers of excision surgery for women with endometriosis. So she, when she was in high school, was sitting in on his surgeries and decided she wanted to help women too. And I not only believed her, I trusted her. And today I sit here with you. I'm not running to the bathroom. We could not have had this interview six months prior because I I would have said, you know, we'll have to do it in blocks because I need breaks. You know, I, I so appreciate you sharing that. It, it is emotional. I didn't yeah. through it and it's emotional to hear. Um, it really brings us to that post because, you know, there's two parts to this and they seem unrelated, but they're very related. Yeah. So there's this medical gaslighting, which is really just about, in its simplest form, not listening to women, yeah. not valuing women, even when they're talking about their own body and their own experience. And that's a huge thing. But then when you talk about people judging because you made this choice and you had this surgery that resulted in not being able to have children naturally, you had to make this difficult choice. And I think it's easy to judge a choice when you look at it quick. It's a lot harder when you hear this story. And it's a really important reminder, especially for women. We are in a huge battle. We are in a battle to be heard, to be believed and valued, and to have what we say and the choices we make be respected and validated. And so we need to be on our own sides, right? We need to understand that women have often had to, whether it's in the workforce or in their medical life, make choices between two not great choices. Sometimes there's multiple choices and none of them are ideal. And we have to make those choices. And so- absolutely. You know, it so- was a tough choice to make. You know, I'm, I'm approaching that mid 40 range and um, I did always want to be a mom, but, you know, the health problems I've had have made that very difficult to, to think about in the normal way. And so um, when I had my surgery, um, I had, because of my uterus was enlarged and, you know, this being a women's health issue. We are so used to being guarded and quiet about, you know, using language. It's empowering to be able to say it. Making it seem like the natural things that happen for a woman are things that we're just not supposed to talk about and how difficult. 
that can be. I'm having girl problems. (laughs) Absolutely. It doesn't help when you've already got issues and problems as it relates to people listening and hearing you and validating you when you then have to kind of tiptoe around even having a conversation, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's evolved for me into a almost a medical me too movement because when I shared that story and then I shared my diagnosis, I had friends coming out of the woodwork that I never knew had issues um, like that. And I had to have a um, partial hysterectomy. Um, I should say I didn't, I chose because it more than likely would give me the best chance of relief. So. I don't think I would have a few years ago had the bravery to put it out there that I was having problems and be so specific about it. But once I did, I have actually had about 20 friends reach out to me since that post to say I had this. And that's what helped me get some of the information I needed too. I absolutely love medical me too moment because when you share this story, it does empower women. It also reminds us that we have knowledge and understanding of ourselves, of our own bodies and our lived experience. And it's okay, advisable even to fight and challenge and not accept, as you said, People come out of the woodwork and you hear that it happens Mm -hmm. much too often, much more than it should. And so I think it's really an important takeaway. We uh, more often than not are right about our own bodies and our own feelings. Sure. And even if we're not, we deserve to be heard and respected. And I do always kind of wrap up with a key takeaway or what I call a manifest statement with how this manifests. Yeah. Reminded in our conversation of a quote from the French feminist author Simone de Beauvoir. And she said, quote, representation of the world, like the world itself, is the work of men. They describe it from their own point of view, which they confuse with the absolute truth. End quote. And I think that that history where the male experience and the male perspective has been prioritized has sometimes lent itself to women's experience being subordinated. And when that happens, it is not only unfair and inequitable, but it is dangerous, maybe even deadly. And it causes a lot of unnecessary pain. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that unnecessary pain and especially the unnecessary additional pain of ever feeling judged for having to make such brave and difficult decisions. But I think having these kinds of conversations is so, so very important. And I can't thank you enough, Leah. We're so bravely and candidly sharing your story to continue to bring attention to the importance of hearing and valuing women's voice and experience. And I know listeners will just get so much out of hearing the story and maybe it's enough to make somebody say, you know what, I'm going to push a little harder and I'm going to advocate a little bit more for myself. I sure hope so, because I was inspired by those stories myself. Hence, you know, hearing someone on YouTube and, and and making a difference. So I have to ask, are you back then? Are you now back into your field and doing yeah. love yeah. now that you're pain-free? I am, this This will sound crazy, but like um, I was on a strict diet because I believe that like diet would help and it never did. 
and I am all foodie again, and I get to eat, <laughs> I I get to eat all the things I want, and uh, I'm still being careful, and I'm really trying to honor nutrition, but it's like, it's kind of letting like a kid into a candy store, like, I can eat again, um, but I, I don't wake up in the middle of the night. I don't have pain every single day. I, I feel like a person again, so... I had my uh, follow-up appointment two weeks ago with Dr. Lou and I was, I was crying. We, we took a selfie or, you know, it was such a celebration for both of us and I feel good. Well, I look at you and I do not see a person with the pain in their face. And I, again, I'm heartbroken that you had to suffer, but yeah. I so appreciate you sharing your story so that maybe there'll be just a little bit less suffering for others. It means a lot to 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 get the opportunity to do this. Um, you know, there's there's pain and there's pain with purpose. And unfortunately, in my life, I've had a lot of pain, but I've had a lot of pain with purpose. And if it makes a difference for someone, then that, that tips the balance of everything. Oh, thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you. Thank you for speaking out on behalf of women and making these issues understandable, you know, and digestible. But, you know, it's important to not talk in in a weighty way, but to really break it down. So I love what you're doing on these issues for women. Thank you so much, Leah. And we'll have to have you back on again sometime. I would love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. And take care and just go out there and enjoy that pain-free life and um, know that there is a lot of support um, being done. sent to you and a lot of love. So. Oh, will do. Thank you. Take care. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback. So please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast, and a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Woman podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.